0: Hello, and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9 a.m. or for our more traditional service at 11 a.m. We also stream full services live on our Facebook page. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. We've been on this journey through 20 different spiritual gifts that were outlined by the United Methodist Church in their spiritual gift inventory, and today we're going to cover the last two, helping and giving. And these are the two that many within the hierarchy of the church, many within the realm of looking to the future, many who are probably here with us today would recognize are two of the most important gifts that we need not just as the broad spectrum of Christianity, not just in Methodism or Virginia United Methodism, but here in this very church, helping and giving. And what are those? Well, helping is a gift of support and behind the scenes effort that makes groups, families, and congregations more effective. Not everyone is gifted to lead, but many are gifted to follow and handle the tasks that are so essential but less glamorous. Helpers love to serve others, support others, and assist others in the important work of ministry and mission. Tireless in their willingness to serve, helpers are less interested in receiving thanks and recognition than in doing good, valuable work. And we have helpers in our church, and we certainly do. And yes, many of you are not Uh, keen on being identified as for what you have done or um, the other week when I was talking about Gary in between worship services he said you're not going to do that again at 11 are you and I said the good Lord has gifted me two services and I absolutely am going to talk about you again (laughs) because that is what I have and so sometimes it's about recognizing just how important helpers are Helpers are the people that can take the vision that is cast and make it a reality. Helpers are the people that you know that you can turn over what is happening and trust and know that it will be all right. And for many of us in the church, our lives were transformed as Christians because of numerous helpers in our lives. But there has been a plague within Christianity, especially American Christianity, probably since the 1950s, that we didn't realize, and yet leadership and scholars have been talking about it since then, that 90% of the work of the local church is done by 10% of the people. That's a terrible ratio. 90% of the work done by 10%. And there are plenty of my colleagues and I that have tried to disprove that, and you start to think about, okay, well, this is how many people we have actively worshiping, and you start to count, and you're like, oh, it's not that far off. Now, we're a little better than that here, but really, if 90% of us were working, we'd only find that there's about 10% to do for each of us, and that we would be more effective and more vital but the future of the church rests on helping and giving. Why? Because we haven't just survived a pandemic, but we are surviving transformation in our culture here and in what's happening in the world. And unfortunately, one of the greatest lessons that Christians learned in the pandemic was that they didn't need the church, that life seemed to go on, that things will be okay if we don't have the church. And maybe for a time, they will. Maybe for a while in someone's life, it seems like I can get by without having to have these relationships to being a part of what God is doing in the world. But the more you withdraw from the church, the further you get from experiencing those incredible miracles being touched by the movement of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus Christ, that happens when we gather together as the body, which is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in his final letter of his ministry. It's not just to the people, the Christians of Rome, that he was writing. He was writing to anyone ever because he knew that he was not leaving Rome alive. This was where his ministry ended in his life. And so he took this time to talk about spiritual gifts and to talk about that each one is important and each of us has been gifted in a different way because the body can't all have the same function, just as your body has so many different complicated and perfect systems working within you. When I was growing up, my mother, who is a retired registered nurse, had this incredible collection. It was like Britannica of the body and it had a different book for every system in your body. And it was crazy to see that that entire expanse of bound books is all in you. And that one thing going wrong in any one page of any of those books could be the end of you. Frightening. But then when you start to think about it, you realize it's a miracle that we're here, that they're all working properly or that when one is not, that the others compensate. It's an incredible thing, your body, and that's what we are meant to be as the body of Christ, the church, a family of faith. We are meant to be even more spectacular than our earthly physical bodies. We are meant to do things that appear to be miracles to this world because the one that we serve does miracles. And so helping is vital, but so is giving. Giving is so important in the life of the church. Giving is a gift that is of a deep commitment to provide whatever resources are needed to support God's will and plan. In addition to radical generosity, those who possess the gift of giving have the uncanny ability to discover and channel new sources of money, time, and energy to needs. Money management skills, grant-writing abilities, and the easy knack for asking for donations and cultivating donors are among the common skills of gifted givers. And every church needs gifted givers. We're all called to help. We're all called to give. But in a time of famine, financially, churches need givers. And that's because we know that we are being asked to do things that are not free in this world. Now, God provides, but God doesn't just rain down money from above, but God provides for every need of every person here in Crozet through God's people. We would have abundance if we all gave our gifts, not just of the fiscal variety, but more. And amazingly, there's no perfect key to unlocking the door of giving. There's not one. Trust me, every clergy ever has looked for one and there's not, but I thought maybe, maybe the secular world knows something that we do not. And so as I was searching the very ends of the internet, I came upon three ways to buy happiness according to a Harvard expert. Buying happiness, right? You've all heard that you can't do that. You all know, you know, you can't buy happiness, like they literally say this, it's a saying. It's part of the little colloquialisms that we have in the United States, especially the South. And unfortunately, we have here this conundrum. Can you, according to a Harvard expert, Arthur C. Brooks is a social scientist and a Harvard professor, and he has this incredible interest in money and happiness. And he has identified three ways that you can buy happiness. One, spend money on experiences. Not on things, but on experiences. Invest your money in joyful experiences that you know will make you feel happier, like going to a concert to see your favorite artist, or planning a vacation somewhere you've always wanted to go. But most of all, spending money on experiences you have with other people. Number two, buy time. You ever tried to buy time? How much time do you want to buy? How do you buy time? If you pay someone to do something time consuming that you don't like to do, for example, cutting your yard, and don't waste the time you gain in unpleasant things like doom scrolling on social media, you can get a happiness boost by spending those extra hours with others. Notice a theme with others. And the last one, according to a Harvard professor, is to give money away to help others. Give it away. How amazing is that? Why didn't we know this? Give it away. Donating your money to support a great cause or using your money to help another person actually leads to a boost in the feel-good chemicals in your brain and in your body, like serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin, according to the Cleveland Clinic. Giving away your money causes an internal response of feeling good according to people who aren't out here raising money for Jesus. It's pretty incredible to think about that, that really all of this is about other people. It's about relationship. It's about using our financial resources to bless somebody else rather than ourselves. And lately in my house, I've been kind of on this kick of downsizing. I don't know why, I've just been thinking, like, I have too much stuff. I have to dust it, I have to clean it. Like, I'd rather just get rid of it. And so I've been kind of going room by room, walking throughout the house, going, what do we have that we don't need? And it's amazing how much stuff that we acquired. How many things we bought that we thought would be really important in the home or that we thought would be really special to my son and I. And then I look at it and I'm like, I didn't need that. And so I was on the phone with my sister last night and I was telling her, I was like, you know, I was reading this blog on downsizing, like tips and strategies and and what to look for and don't make these mistakes. And as I was researching it, one of the things they said was itemize the things that are really precious to you. Go through your house and look at, maybe they're knickknacks, maybe they're mementos, but those things that you absolutely have to have And as I walked through every room of my house with my sister on the phone, I was like, there's like nothing, there's really nothing. There's nothing in this house that I can't live without if it burns down, nothing. And then I thought, maybe I'm deficient, and I'm sure I am. But what ended up happening was I stopped in what's the great room. It's the epicenter of the house. And I stopped in it, and I was looking at my vinyl collection, and I love my vinyl collection. I've been collecting it for 30 years, so it's a little big. And I'm standing in front of it. But more than that, hanging over one of my turntables is probably one of the most precious physical things I own. It's a poster. And I'm gonna describe it for you, and if you haven't been to the Parsonage to see it, just hang tight with me, it's a weird description. So it's a woman whose bottom half is a lemon, and she's reaching up to a lemon tree, and she's plucking a lemon to put in her bottle, and at the bottom, it's a French ad, it says spot citron on it. And she's gorgeous, she's got like finger curls, oh, it's beautiful. And she's doing this, and you know, she's half a a lemon, and so we refer to her lovingly as the lemon lady. And I have the Lemon Lady because when I was growing up, right about the time I was transitioning from a teenager into an adult, my mother and I developed a habit of going to the American Cafe. It was a local little cafe in uh, Fairfax County and we would go, we had a table that we liked to sit at and every time we sat at our table, I could see that poster in the restaurant. It was a pretty big poster. If you turned this screen vertical, it, it's still like that big and bigger. Uh, It's an amazing size poster, and it's vibrant, and I just had always kind of loved it, and I associated it with those experiences that my mother and I had when we would go to get lunch together there. And we had a lot of conversations there. We went there when we were happy. We went there when we weren't. We went there when we were stressed. We went there when we wanted to celebrate. And the two of us used to go there, and then we found out they were closing. How dare they take that restaurant from us? We weren't going to see the servers anymore. We weren't going to have our table. I wasn't going to see the lemon lady. And so what ended up happening was I went online, and thank God even back then you could find the poster. And I found it, a $35 poster. And I got it, and I showed it to my mom. I was like, look at this. This is amazing. And I bought this while I was still living in northern Virginia. And it took me a while to get it framed because it's rather large, and it's now in a $500 frame job. $35 A $35 poster. And it's the most precious thing I own. It has moved with me from Williamsburg to seminary in New Jersey. It moved back with me to Williamsburg. It moved with me to Norfolk, and it's moved with me here to Crozet. And my son has explicit orders. When I am old and in a nursing home, you bring her and you put her on the wall. Where I go, she goes. My people are her people, and my God is her God, and she will come with me. And then when I die, whatever, I'm dead. But she's coming with me wherever we go. You can't bring the vinyl collection, but you can bring the lemon lady. It's a little tough, but you can make it happen. And so the lemon lady is this reminder of all those memories and those experiences. That's what she is. She's probably the biggest, most expensive memento I have in my house. And it's because I can remember back to that time with my mother. All the times that we didn't stay home and cook, we paid somebody to do it so that we could just talk. All the times that we had those experiences together, all the times that we bonded, that's what the lemon lady means to me. And that's what this Harvard professor and social expert is trying to tell us, that money can be used to bless others and that we are blessed when we do. Because when I looked around my house, as much as there are things that are beautiful and glittery. I didn't need them. I didn't need the glitter. It's not what's important. What's important is what we've done. And over the past couple weeks, I've been thinking about those backpacks, 25 backpacks for $600, and $604 and change, that we sent over to Henley Middle School. Now, I've bought a lot of backpacks in my life. My son is 14, and I'm pretty sure, and he went to um, preschool starting at the age of 18 months, so I'm pretty sure I've been through a whole bunch of backpacks. I've probably bought 25 backpacks just for my kid. And I think back on how expensive some of them were, especially the designer ones when he was in, like, second grade. He wanted one that was chrome with spikes. It was a little intense, but he looked really good wearing it. And then he's had some that, you know, are miraculous feats of... Uh, engineering, where you can carry 45 pounds of stuff on a 30-pound kid. All kinds of amazing backpacks, but I don't think I have ever bought a backpack that meant more to me than the ones that I don't have. Because my son has a lot of his backpacks. They hang in his walk-in closet. They're just like on hooks. I don't know what that's about, but he has them. And I walked in and I looked at them, because again, the most important backpacks I ever bought weren't for me and they weren't for my son. They were for people who couldn't afford backpacks. They were for 25 teenagers. That's a whole classroom of teenagers. And I know that I have frittered away more than $604 in my lifetime. But that money that we spent, that you gave and that I used to purchase those backpacks, means more to me than I could have ever known. And over the last couple weeks, I've had some real high moments. I've had some real low moments. I've had some moments where I wonder, you know, does, does my ministry matter? Like, does any of this matter? And I think about those backpacks. Because that was one of the most perfect examples of us working together and being able to bless somebody being able to meet someone's needs so that they could stand up a little taller, so that they could feel a little better in their pursuit of knowledge, and that they would have what they have because they deserve to have what they need, and because we are a people who believe that we can take what we have and we can bless others. And maybe for as long as I live, I will think about 25 backpacks and how $600 has made a whole bunch of difference and I've got more than $600 worth of stuff in my house that really doesn't mean anything. And so as I was talking to my sister and I told her, you know, it's amazing. Like I think about the things that are really important to me. I think about like the top 10 things that are really important to me and almost none of them are physical almost none of them are tangible because even the lemon lady i could technically replace in a fire but i can't replace those memories i can't replace the experiences my top 10 experiences and i bet five of them are with you five of them would be with this body of christ the things that we have done together but even more so i believe the things that we will do together in the days ahead because We have churches all over Methodism in Virginia that are wondering if they're going to be here next year. They're wondering, do they have five more years? Fifteen? They don't know. But this church has been around for more than 150 years. This church should be around for more than 150 more. But it takes us using our gifts, the helping and the giving. Last week, I shared with you about the overwhelming experience of seeing all of those beloved children of God, those beings of sacred worth, living in tents in Charlottesville in a park. And this morning in our e-news, there was an article about how to help those that are working to give them an actual shelter and a hot meal and a place to rest and that's there because a helper in our family of faith sent it to me who then i sent it to bart and then bart sent it to all of you but a helper did that i stood before you last week and said i don't even know what to do but the helping gift in this sibling in christ knew exactly what to do and so we have those opportunities And some of them seem so small. In a little while in the announcements, I will give you some more detail on that. But you think, what what difference does that make? It makes the difference. Because Jesus was constantly showing us what it looks like when his disciples did 10% of the work and he did 90. His ministry ended in three years. It's a bad ratio. And every now and then he would say to them, you do it. You do it. You feed them. You go heal. You take the lead. And you have to think to yourself just how amazing it is that we are here. That Christianity almost 2,000 years later is here because the original 12 could only do 10% of the job. That's a miracle in itself. But when Jesus burnt out on the cross and was gone, the entire Setup changed. And suddenly those that had been 10% now had to do 90. Because when Jesus ascended, he left the church in their hands. And there were so many people that experienced Jesus that wanted to be a part of that 12. They wanted to be in that number. And Jesus said, no. No, you don't. People would come and they would be impacted or forgiven or loved or healed and they would beg to follow him and he would say, no, go home. Go back to your towns and your cities. Give glory to God. Make your offerings with the priests. But no, you don't want to follow me because I am homeless and itinerant like those people in the park in Charlottesville and I have nowhere to lay my head, and half the time I have no food for myself or my 12, and you do not want to be a part of that. But one day a man arrived, a rich man, you probably have heard this one, it's in multiple gospel accounts, a rich man shows up and says to Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I want to buy time. What do I have to do? And Jesus says, you're a good Jew, you know what you have to do, you've read the Torah, you know the first five books of our scripture, that's what you have to do. And he says, well, I've done all that for years. I've got that. There's got to be something more. What more can I do? It's not just about following the rules. What is it? And Jesus says, fine, you lack one thing. Sell everything that you own and give it to others. Follow me. And if you know the story, you know that they all say he went away very sad because he had many things and he couldn't part with them. He couldn't part with them to follow Jesus. If you had a chance to see your risen, resurrected and triumphant Savior right here, right now and said, come with me, would you worry about what's in your garage Would you struggle with what's in that closet in the hallway? Would you think to yourself, you know, I, I might need to go back and just, you know, take a look at all the stuff? Or would you follow Jesus into the kingdom to come? What would you pick? Because that's what we're being offered. Are you willing to give so that others may be blessed? Because that's where the blessing is. The world says this is ridiculous. You should have read the comments on the article. You can't buy happiness, you can't buy time. This is for rich people. Um, No, giving away money does not make you happy. 25 backpacks says it does, says it does. And yes, you can do things with your money that will make you happy and that will bless other people. You can do those things. Or we can do what the world says. The world tells you that it's what you buy and keep with your money. That's where your value is. Are you leaving an estate to the people who will follow after you? Do you have a diversified portfolio? Do you own property? Do you have a good mortgage rate? The world tells you it's about what you have. Jesus tells you it's about what you give. Giving of what you have. You know, the story of the widow's mite is probably one of the most quoted texts for stewardship sermons, and this is not a stewardship sermon, but it's one of the most quoted texts, right? You know the story of the widow. She's got two little coins, and according to the scripture, it is all that she has. She has nothing left. She doesn't have anything in a 401k. She's not getting a social security check. She has nothing but this. And she gives it in the temple. And Jesus sees her, and he remarks about her gift. But what we don't talk about is, why was she giving everything she had? Because she didn't think she needed it anymore. She was a widow, and being a widow was a death sentence. It was just a matter of time. And she thought, if I'm gonna die, let me give it. Let me give it away and Jesus saw her giving and he said to the 12 who do 10% that woman has given more generously than all of the rich and the high and the mighty she has given all that she had she put all her trust in god and you think to yourself what 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 is two coins going to do Maybe you think that when you make your offering, what is this going to do? But it's about together. Every organ gives in the body. Every system gives to the health of the body. And together, we can do things that we never would have thought we could do. I remember the first time I was dancing and my teacher told me, get up on your toes. And I was like, like, stand on my big toe. I thought the ballet shoes were just kind of pretty, but she wanted me to use them. And I remember going, this is going to hurt, this is going to hurt. It hurt, but then something happened, adrenaline kicked in oh my gosh, I'm standing on my toes. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that I could do this. Like, I shouldn't be able to do this. You shouldn't be able to put all of your weight on your single big toe. That sounds like a bad idea. And long term, it probably is. But I did it, and my body went, whoa. And my mind went, oh my gosh, we just did this. And I did it again, and I did it again. And every time I did it, it hurt a little less and it made me feel amazing. That is what using our gifts is like in the body of Christ. Sometimes it hurts, because you know what you could be using that money for. You know, you think to yourself, the Harvard expert said to buy time, I could be buying time, but here I am giving it to Jesus. Because you are buying time. You are buying educational time for 25 students at Henley. And if you give to help the people that are living in the tents, you are buying them days of life. Because people who are living in tents when winter comes to Charlottesville are on short time. You can buy time for other people. And at the end of your life, Jesus tells you what the judgment is. Jesus tells you it's not about what you leave, it's about what you gave. What did you give? Did you give of yourself? Did you give what you had? Did you bless others? Because the future of this church, this body of Christ right here in Crozet, rests on all of us deciding to be helpers and givers. There is no future otherwise. We can manifest every other gift of the Holy Spirit, but if we don't all choose to be helpers and givers, then this will just be a lucrative piece of property. And that's not what Christ wants. Christ wants us to be a people who stop saying, what is it that we want? What is it that we think that we need from a church? And instead says, what is it that they need out there? How can we who are here bless them out there? What can we give? What can we do? What can we become that they might experience Jesus Christ? Because the days of people deciding, hey, let's go check out that church, they are waning. People have already decided who you are and what you want. But what they don't know, the miracle is what you can do, what you have to offer. The service, the love, the relationship, they don't know that. Because that's not what the world values. They don't realize that here, they are not just a number or a problem or a demographic, or a social category. Here, they are beloved of sacred worth. And that is the message that we have to give to the world. But we don't give it by getting things for ourselves. We get it by giving them away. Our time, our talent, our gifts, and our service. And the Apostle Paul tells us That the giver does so in generosity. And that the compassionate do it with cheer. Cheerfulness. What the world hasn't figured out is why we have joy. They don't know. Why is it that Christians can gather together at a deathbed and find a reason to laugh and to sing? Why is it that Christians are able to have pictures of smiling and joy with people for whom they are building houses because those people are homeless? How is it that Christians can have that joy? They haven't figured it out because the world still thinks it's about getting and not giving. The world thinks it's about what you have and not whom you have helped. But this is who we are if we are truly the body of Christ in Crozet. And this is all that God has asked of us. To prioritize relationship with God and others. To choose to give rather than to hoard and to have. When we were accepted by God through the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, to have and to hold only was for God. He has you and he holds you. And Christ will never let you go. So let go of everything else. Choose to step out in faith and to help and to give, and this world will truly experience a renaissance of transformation, the likes of which it hasn't seen probably since the Protestant Reformation. I don't believe that we are in the twilight of American Christianity. We could be but I don't believe that we are. Because whenever I think about the numbers and the money and I think about those things, the Holy Spirit kept knocking on my heart and going, 25 backpacks. It starts there. Don't let it end there. May our giving and our helping be the next iteration of transformation in our body of Christ. In our beloved community and our neighborhood of Crozet, so that Christ will draw ever closer to those who do not know his name and have never experienced his grace. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.